there's often talk about making clinics more welcoming to their feline patients, but what really is a cat-friendly practice? We decided to go straight to the source and ask one of the originators of this popular program that has been showing huge benefits for veterinarians, cat owners, and most especially the cats that we care for. Welcome to Vet Talk with Royal Canin, where we address an array of topics relevant to veterinarians and veterinary clinics. I'm Brenda Andreessen, Chief Strategy Officer at Stevens & Associates and your host for this conversation. On this episode, we're going to discuss proper feline handling techniques for all clinics. You notice I alluded to that a little bit earlier when we were talking about what really is a cat-friendly practice. So joining me today on the podcast are Dr. Alona Rodan, Specialist in Feline Medicine, Cat Behavior Consultant, and Dr. Craig Gatz, board-certified veterinary nutritionist and senior director of scientific affairs at Royal Canin. Let's begin, Dr. Rodan, by having us tell our audience a little bit about yourself and about what sparked your dedication to feline medicine and feline well-being. Sure, I'd be glad to. It's a real passion of mine. So first, I want to thank you and thank Royal Canin for their commitment to improving cat handling because it really makes such a big difference. So I graduated from Washington State University and I worked with two cats. That's it, two cats. And so I thought the cats were pretty cool, but by the time I got my own practice, which was in 1987, I was working with a lot of cats and we became very, very busy, very quickly, lots of new employees. People were getting scratched, bitten all the time. And I, I I felt terrible for them. But I also was frustrated. Workers' compensation claims were really high. And then I had a great opportunity. Um, And I'm gonna call it an opportunity because I learned a lot. I was bitten by the same cat during three consecutive visits. And this cat needed to come in all the time because he was sick. And I'm like, I just, after I got through my other thoughts, the only thing that I could think of is if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And I'm like, this is not working. So we need to change. Now I'm an introvert. And so I decided to make that change all by myself. And I started making, figuring out what worked better for cats and what didn't. And I got it. And then I had to bring my team along. So that was a little challenging, but that's where I, I'm like, the way cats are handled in practice and many practices still today is detrimental to the cat's welfare. And it is also challenging for veterinary professionals attempting to work with cats. That's, there's a lot to dig in here. I'm really excited to, to get that conversation rolling. But before we do that, would really love to ask Dr. Datz just to share how he became interested in feline medicine. Yeah, thanks, Brenda, and thanks, Dr. Rodan, for joining us today. My interest in cats, I guess, goes back as well, um, like Alona's back to uh, veterinary school when I just thought cats were super interesting creatures, and I noticed that some of my classmates were seemingly scared of cats. Now, I was scared of horses and cows and big things. Surprisingly, a lot of the people that would be perfectly comfortable with a thousand-pound horse would shy away from approaching uh, an eight-pound cat. Um, so I... I Managed most of my career to work with both dogs and cats, but I did use probably about half cat practice, half dog practice over the years. Um, and 
kind of like Alona, I wasn't taught anything necessary about cat handling other than to scruff them or carry them like a suitcase um, and or, you know, put them in a uh, <laughs> put them in a gas chamber and apply anesthetic gas to them. That was a, a go to at some of the clinics I worked at, which I never did. But sometimes people do that. Um, so I just tried little things over the years, just trial and error. So it's been my experience with, with cat handling. It's just little things that seem to work with me. It's amazing how much we've learned, right? And thank goodness we're not gassing cats now to try to get them to behave. And thanks in large part, Dr. Odan, to what we've learned from you over the years, that's, um, we've, we've learned better ways now. And so we know that clinics really should have separate spaces for cats and dogs, but many practices really don't have waiting areas big enough and exam rooms can sometimes be limited. So what do you recommend clinics in those situations can do to make their spaces more feline friendly? I love this question and, and people will ask it all the time. And we have a cat only, cat friendly gold practice and we don't use our waiting room for cats. Now you can, if you prefer to use a Soji screens or something inexpensive to block off an area of the exam, of the waiting area. But for us, we take the cat directly from the car to the exam room. And I think COVID has been tragic, but I think many veterinarians and veterinary practices now are doing that. Getting the cat without the owner, if, depending on where you are now with COVID, and going directly to the exam room. Think about you know either just getting them from the door to the hospital or going out to the car having someone go out to the car and get that cat and or cats and helping the owner in with those cats. You can call it a concierge service. It is really marketable. Owners love having someone come out and helping them go directly to the exam room. So you don't even need the waiting area. So if only you can show up at everyone's house and help get the cat into the carrier. Cause I know, you know, my aunt's case, for example, it's literally the cat who hangs on to the sides of the door to try to avoid getting into the carrier. So does it really help to have owners carrier train their cats or are there other alternatives? And how do veterinarians and staff help educate pet owners and you know what to do, what the benefits will be? Kind of a loaded question there, but I think you can tear it. It's actually not a loaded question anymore. So there are two studies that prove that carrier training works. And it reduces, obviously, if the cat goes in the carrier on their own, then we don't have that stress of chasing the cat around the house, pulling them out from under the bed, and shoving them into the carrier. So carrier training works. It reduces that stress. The owner doesn't have to get, get the cat into the carrier. The cat goes in on their own. Then you've got it also, the studies show that it reduces distress during transport as well as the cats are showing more positive signs. So positive emotions by taking treats in the practice. So that works much better for them. And fascinatingly, just carrier training the cat significantly shortens exam times. That's a huge benefit right there for everybody. It's a win-win. There's nothing, no one loses with this. <laughs> and it's easy. You put the carriers out in, where the cat, in a place where the cat likes to go and maybe a sunbeam, but in their preferred room, you have a little fleece blanket or their favorite blankie in there and you just put treats in. And so 
cat owners, all they have to do is put the treats in. And what I like to tell cat owners is the benefits for them and for their cat. And I want veterinary teams to also tell them, do not entice the cat to go in except with the treats. It could be, if they don't like treats, it could be something else, like a toy or catnip, but do not verbally or physically try to get that cat to go into the carrier. That's really interesting. It sounds pretty simple, right? So yeah, Dr. Datz, what, what have you heard, learned, what kind of um, you know, information can you share out here? Uh, yeah, my traditional uh, uh, view of a carrier is a uh, plastic with metal cage doors. And again, the, the doorway is small and so many people stuff the cat in. Um, the, the cat's oftentimes larger than the door in these cases. Have you seen, Dr. Rodan, some of the newer types and designs of cat carriers, the soft type or types that open a certain way? Have you found any success or any? do you have any preferences these days as opposed to the old traditional plastic carrier? So the question is kind of loaded. So I, I actually like the old traditional carriers and you can, if, as long as they don't have metal screws and, and bolts that you have to, or nuts, whatever you call those, um, where they rust and it's really hard to take them apart. So if you have plastic clips, it's easy. You just take the lid off and you can work with the cat in the bottom half of the carrier. There are some phenomenal new carriers that I love. And the sleepy pod is one of them. So it's a cat bed with the top and you just zip off the top and work with a cat within that cat bed. And so the cats love to go in them, but the hard sided ones are not bad. They're really, they're very, very good to work with as long as you can easily take the lid off. So bottom line, it sounds like find what works for that particular cat and that particular cat owner, but that can take some trial and error, right? So are there guidelines or I, I, there's obviously a lot of evidence and science now that supports how to approach cats in a much more friendly way than once upon a time we did. But, you know, are there guidelines? Is there evidence we can point people to, to help them help in practice better understand it and then share that information with their, with their pet owners? Yes. So there are studies that we can share. Also, the American Association of Feline Practitioners has a great website with lots of information on carrier training cats. And there's the Cat Friendly Homes website, which is the AFP owner website, which is catfriendly.com. And you can go to those sites and take information from that and use that and share that with the owners. In fact, we as veterinary professionals are so busy now. I think it's even worse with COVID. We've just become even busier. We don't have time to sit and talk to an owner, each owner, for 20 minutes or so to tell them about carrier training. So share on your website, social media, handouts, emails to them to just share that information. You can lift it from AFP share it with owners, make it easy for them, for the team to get cat owners to carry or train their cats. So to that point, it sometimes seems it's easier to train the clients than it is to train the team and overcome team resistance. So what kind of tips do you have for how a practice might, you know, get the team on board with number one, doing, doing things feline friendly themselves, and then also sharing that information? 
Well, thanks, Brenda, for that question. So as I said, I'm an introvert. I figured it out on my own. And then I'm like, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. This is so exciting. This works much better. And I got a revolution. People are like, you don't care about us. You only care about the cats. What about our safety? I'm like, no, no, it's safer for you. But we learn in school. This is the way you handle cats. I'm like, yes, we do learn in school that, but we're getting injured and it's not working. So um, after my disappointment that they weren't as, as, as excited as I was, I went and got some information on change management. And honestly, people are scared of change and they're scared that they will not success, be successful. So that's a real problem. And so listening to them, making sure you understand their concerns about change. The other thing is, don't throw everything at them all at once, as I did, but instead, small little bits and include them in the solution. Well, how are we going to do a better job with this? What's going to work better here? So today, if I was going to work with my team, I'd start with first with carrier training because the owners are doing that. Well, client services and the owners are doing that, but you lift that information from AFP use that information, you don't have to really work hard at that. So it sounds like kind of wiping the slate clean a little bit of what they may have learned in veterinary school or in technician school and being willing to look at the, the potential benefits of putting a little extra energy into learning a new way. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, I want to give credit to veterinary schools because things are improving. And also in, in some technician schools, the way cats are handled is improving. And there are cat-friendly veterinary schools as well. So um, I, I don't want to completely diss what's happening, but certainly when I went to vet school and when Craig went to vet school, we were we were tightly restraining cats, scruffing them, you know, forcing them to do what we thought, the way we thought we needed to do it. Well, things continue to evolve. That's for sure. Right. We learn and we grow and recognizing that any, you know, there's a moment in time in veterinary school when you are, are able to learn something. So continuous improvement, I guess, for each of us. Yes. Yes. There's lots of studies actually in the last two decades, a lot of studies on what works better for cats. Dr. Das, what have you seen in your career? I believe that people, um, there's been an increase in the behavior specialty, and there's a uh, certainly a, a very active, passionate group of veterinarians who've gone on to specialty training in behavior practice, and they have helped lead the way. And there are different ways to just understand a cat's natural behavior, a cat's natural personality, a cat's approach to um, things they like, such as treats and, and uh, towels, things they don't like, such as being pulled out of a carrier and placed on a cold metal table. They don't like that. Um, they don't like threats of having a dog bark in the next room. So once we've understood the cat's natural, uh, essential catness, then we can help work with the cat. And just again, to refer back to me and a horse, if I don't understand a horse, if I walk to a horse, I'm going to get hurt or a cow or a goat for that matter, because I don't understand their natural behavior, their natural tendencies, how they view people. So I believe that you know the, uh, the the better appreciation of veterinary behaviorists 
And then just veterinaries interested in improving their approach to cats in general, which is medicine, surgery, hopefully feline nutrition, um, which is my passion. And then um, just kind of slow, continuous quality improvement. I, I like that because you can't go into a practice. You can't even do that for yourself. And I would highly encourage anybody listening to this podcast to try to attend one of Dr. Rodan's feline handling uh, live workshops where there's actual cats, because sometimes it takes seeing to believe if you just hear or read something about here are some cat friendly handling techniques, but you never see anybody do them, you're less likely to want to try them yourself, or you may feel clumsy or, you know, incompetent, or you just give up too easily, like, oh, this is never going to work. And I admit, I was a little skeptical about getting a cystocentesis for, from a cat, which is collection of urine with a syringe and needle without restraint. But Dr. Rodan demonstrated that. And I was like, wow, that's, that can be done. So, so little things like that. I believe that there's, there's no sense in giving up. And I do like the, uh, the AAFP cat friendly. They now offer individual certification, which I went through that course not too long ago. It used to be a practice uh, clinic or facility oriented program. Now individual veterinarians, individual technicians and paraprofessionals are welcome to, um, to take that course. And it's all on the AFP website. Um, become a cat-friendly certified individual instead of a, since I don't work at a practice anymore since I'm with Royal Canaan. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great learning experience and it's a great reminder. Um, and it just goes to appreciation of cats working with them instead of against them. That's a, a great segue to a question I have about cat-friendly practice, because we know um, there are practices who, who have become, who are. There are others who desire to be cat-friendly, but maybe don't meet the requirements. So, you know, Dr. Rodan, you know, are there a top two or three things you might recommend for a practice who really does want to be more cat-friendly, but either doesn't have the time or, you know, isn't able to meet the requirements of a cat-friendly certified practice? Really good point. I, I think Craig brought up the most important point that I would bring, well, that I would say, and that is, is to get that cat-friendly certification. And it makes a world of difference. I will tell you in our practice, I do all the handling teaching with any new studies. I teach people, all the new staff, I will go through workshops with them. However, I want every single person, and it's not my practice anymore, our new owner, wants every single person to go through the program, regardless of the fact that we have all this other information. Because when they hear it from someone else, and the owner of the practice is not always cramming things down their throat, and they're like, oh, this is how people do it, it works really well. And the information is concise. It's really well put for veterinarians. It took me four hours to go through it. Since I don't own my practice anymore, I well, I do own Cat Behavior Solutions where I do cat behavior consultations. But so I did the Cat Friendly Veterinarian Certificate and it was four hours. I think for the advocates, for the paraprofessionals, it's two hours and the technicians, it is either, or nurses, it's either two or three hours. So the time investment is not huge. Right, and they end up with a certificate. Yeah, on the back end. That's always good in a competitive work environment, for sure. So this has been such a fascinating conversation. I think we could carry on for a very long time. But as we close, I want to ask one final thought question from each of you. And Dr. Dance, we'll start with you. The question is, 
what piece of advice would you leave us with for those who are dealing with those incredibly crazy, squirmy, difficult, I'm not going to do this cats. I would love to have a time machine and go back when I was in practice, because what I know now, which a lot of us didn't know then, is that um, a lot of cats may benefit from some at-home tranquilization before they are not shoved into the carrier, but invited into their carrier, transported to the clinic, and they have just a little, what we call a little touch of the medication to take the edge off. And that can make our start of our visit and our start of a relation with that cat. If it's the first time we've seen the cat, the cat may be a little happier because of tranquilization. So that's, um, I wish I had done that my entire career. Excellent advice. And I love the invited into the carrier term. I'm going to have to remember that one. Dr. Rodan, your, your final piece of wisdom. I want to say five different things. Okay. First of all, I love your final five pieces of wisdom. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I love Craig's idea of the gabapentin. Number one is the number one anti-anxiety medication that I would use using for the squirmy, busy cats, kind of trying to direct them into one location with treats really works. You have lickable treats or soft or dry treats and you just entice them to one location and you can even involve the owner here with them giving the treats and the lickable chews, just having them go through that. Chew happens to be the favorite in our practice right now and just work with them in that way. And just that's, and if they move to another area, redirect them back to where you want them. We even do venipunctures with kittens that are wiggling and squirming all over the place. And they don't even know that the venipuncture happened because they're so busy eating the churu. The other thing I would recommend is hiding places. And the bottom half of the carrier is great, but if the cat is moving around, having a hiding place in the exam room helps. Having owners bring their own soft cat beds works really well, but having your own in the practice is also extremely helpful because the cat will go in there and you can work with the cat in that soft bed. It works in kennels or condos because then it's easy to take the cat out in that bed, or you can even use a cardboard box, but whatever is easy to take that cat out with. Um, Hiding is an important coping strategy for cats in an unfamiliar environment or one that they really don't like, which sometimes is the veterinary hospital. We want to change that so that they love coming to us. This uh, this podcast has been chock full of really great information. So I recommend people listen to this again with a pen in hand and also go to a lot of the resources that, that the two of you have suggested. So cheers to happy cats, happy cat owners, and happy veterinary professionals. Thank you very much, Dr. Alona Rodan, for your time. Thank you, Dr. Craig Datz, for your time. Thanks a lot, Brenda. We appreciate having you here. And especially thank you to Alona for sharing her expertise with us today. Well, thank you, Craig and Brenda. And thank you to Royal Canaan for your commitment to improving cat health and how cats are handled.